We begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Easter Sunday morning. Uh, how did your morning go so far this morning? So, see, you're all saying generally good because you made it here, right? You made it here, right? Um, 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 things kind of went in line. Um, the kids probably behaved a little bit, maybe... There were no blown out diapers, uh, car had enough gas, all these kind of things. And so at, I would say on some level, at, at least a few things went right according to your plans here today, right? That brought you here today. Um, and yet I'm probably not going out on a limb to say that that's not always the case. In fact, I'm probably not going out on a limb when I say that, that there are those that maybe wished that wanted to be here this morning and they couldn't. There's probably various uh, reasons for that, right? Um, things that have happened in their life, um, circumstances, all those kind of things. But that's kind of an example of just everyday living, isn't it? That's life, isn't it? We make our plans, we set our expectations, and we have hopes that this is how it's going to play out. But it doesn't always play out that way, right? Not everything goes according to our plan. Uh, not everything goes according to any of our plans at times. And um, um, I think we realize that on some level. Uh, and I don't know that that kind of knocks you off your feet, but we make our plans. Maybe you had plans this morning of what Easter Sunday was going to look like, um, plans um, for the kids and what they were going to wear and, and, and all of those things. And maybe they all came together, but there is also a chance that they didn't, and that's more what you got this morning. Um, um, instead of a, a nice solid egg, um, maybe you're just going to turn it into scrambled eggs, right? Because that, on some level, um, if you live more than probably four to five years of this life, we understand that the things that we expect, the hopes that we have, the plans that we put in place as adults don't always fall into place, right? And sometimes, many times, the Lord gives us something far different, right? Um, those plans don't always work out, right? <laughs> We're going to let that sink in a little bit. There are days when we get exactly what we expect. There are days when, when life is exactly what you expect. And it's a mix of good and bad, of plans accomplished, and some that do not come to fruition. It's, it's pain and suffering intermixed with joy and glory, right? But there are moments, I think, when we get a glimpse of what is unexpected, right? So not a full egg that... I, some of you, like move to the side. I think you're like, I'm going to let it, let it hit. You, will you open that egg for me? Look what's inside of that egg. And then hold it up if you would. There you go. Okay. So, okay. So for all your, for all your, yeah, I know. I don't have any more eggs. Sorry. Um, <laughs> So $5 bill inside of that egg, if you want to 
If you want to know how long it took your pastor to be able to put a $5 bill inside of an egg, you can talk to me afterwards. But, but you got something unexpected, right? And I was also trying to reward your bravery a little bit. That You, you actually put your hand out to catch it. <laughs> and so everybody else moved away, right? Here's the point. Here's the point. There are glimpses of, there are moments in our life um, when, when we receive the unexpected, right? There are moments where our, our eyes and our hearts and our hopes, uh, um, um, we get a glimpse of something that is far greater, um, far more beautiful than we ever could have imagined. Today on Easter Sunday, that's what we get to look at. Those women coming to that tomb expected one thing and yet they received something far different. We're going to hold on to that because it's of, of the greatest importance for us as believers um, that we receive the unexpected, right, in Christ. So uh, we're going to jump into our text here this morning. Um, you're always welcome to follow along with me in your bulletin if you'd like. Um, you've actually got a little spot there, I think, for some notes and things like that if you'd like. Uh, for those of you that got A's in all your classes at school and brought apples to the teachers, this is kind of where we're headed, and you can even fill in blanks if you would like. For the rest of us that did not bring apples, um, this is where we're at. <laughs> so uh, that's going to kind of be what we're going to break down our service today. Um, we want to look at three different points, and we're going to talk about three different reasons why Christ's resurrection matter and matter in an ongoing way for us as believers, okay? So uh, our first one, you can fill it in if you want. We're going to talk about what was. So the reality of what those women found at the tomb is where we're going to start. But I'm going to begin with, with some pictures here, and you're going to help me out. How about this one? Moon landing. Uh, who knows the date, the exact date? There you go. Yeah. July. It is July. Yep. You were really close. Yeah. I like the, the team up, right? Okay. Yep. July 20th, 1969, right? Um, I believe this is Buzz Aldrin on the moon, right? Moon landing. Okay, first one. How about this one? Berlin Wall. Anyone know the date? Yeah, 1989. November 9th, 1989. Yep. November 9th, 1989. Right? The dividing wall between East and West Germany came down. Right? Um, these folks standing on top of it and many people that, that uh, maybe had pieces of it. And if you go on eBay, there's about a zillion pieces of the Berlin Wall you can buy, right? Okay. Third one. How about this one? Okay. Date? September 11, 2001, right? Um, Twin Towers in New York City that fell. Okay. Why did I pick those three sp pictures specifically? There's a few reasons. Number one, all three kind of come from different generations, right? First one, 1969. Second one, 1989. Next one, 2001. And so for any of the kids that were at the children's lesson here today, they weren't alive probably for any of those. But some of you were, right? Okay? Here's the other reason I picked those for you. There are individuals that witnessed them. There are people that saw them, that could grab a hold of it. You could talk to people about what happened at each of those events. Buzz Aldrin is still alive, last I checked. I think he's 93 years old. 
If you wanted, and if he would receive you, and if he had the energy, you could go talk to him and say, tell me about this event and what happened. Describe it to me. You are an eyewitness of it. You walked it. Tell me what happened there. So you could go and ask him, right, and verify. The same is true of the Berlin Wall. Hundreds, if not thousands of people. See, yep, I was there. I stood on that wall. I saw what happened. And the same with the Twin Towers in New York, right? I witnessed the smoke. I, ha- I, I can still smell the smell. I lost family or friends in those towers. So all three of them, we have witnesses to. And you can go ask about them in, in addition to images and things that we have. And all three of them are slightly different though, aren't they? Because the moon landing literally is like, is out of this world. <laughs> and, and we would maybe mark it as triumph. The Berlin Wall coming down is just pure joy. And reunification, September 11th is pain and it's tragedy. And here's the point. We remember all of those things somewhat equally, don't we? They are impressed on our minds. They are burned into our consciousness and specifically uh, in the minds of those that have lived through them, the generations that have lived through them or those that were actually at those events. The point is that there are eyewitnesses for all of those things and you can go talk to them if you wanted. You can ask. You can say, tell me. The very same thing is true of Christ's resurrection in our text here today. There were eyewitnesses to that empty tomb. And that is remarkably important for us, not just as believers on an Easter Sunday morning, but for our world in general, for your family, your friends, for those that are searching, for those that want nothing to do with Christ. There is a remarkably important reason why there were eyewitnesses there and why this reality happened. Our text kind of walks us through that. So the first point we're looking at is what was. So let's begin with our text here. I just want to read for you verses 1 through 4. It says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Now, we're just picking out a few things here because notice who was there. Who were the eyewitnesses? These were women that were coming to the tomb, right? It happened on a specific day on the Sabbath. Jesus' body had been taken down and in accordance with the Sabbath, placed hurriedly into that tomb. And as soon as the light started breaking on that Easter Sunday morning, these women went and they fully expected to find death inside. They fully expected to find in that tomb Jesus' dead body. They had brought spices with them. They were going to anoint him. They were prepared um, to encounter death and the reality of the pain that they, that they had already seen happen on the cross, right? Maybe it had been paused for a singular day, but their minds never stopped working on it because they knew on Easter Sunday morning they were walking to that tomb and inside they would find death. A dead friend, a dead teacher, a dead rabbi, Jesus of Nazareth, right? The women saw this, okay? Who else were watching? Remember, at the tomb, guards were posted, right? Presumably not friends of Jesus, not believers, 
in some sense, enemies of his, or at least uh, um, kind of bystanders on the side. These were Roman, hardened Roman guards whose sole job was to protect that tomb and make sure that no one tampered with it. And in fact, if someone did tamper with it and someone got into it, guess who was going to pay the price? These guys would. And Roman guards did not like to pay the price, and they didn't get to the position they were uh, by not being good at their job. Their job was to protect it so that nothing went on, and yet they shook, and they were afraid, fearful, right? These were eyewitnesses of the empty tomb, but not the only one, right? In fact, do you remember our first reading today? The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says this, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And he kind of lays out exactly what happened. It almost feels like he is chronicling the event of what happened, right? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. So Peter and and the disciples. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. So what is Peter essentially doing? He's saying, this is what happened. And if you doubt me, or you doubt the disciples, go ask the guards. Go ask any of the 500 that are still alive. They're still alive. I can give you their addresses. I know where they live in Jerusalem. It's not a long walk. (laughs) If you want to find out exactly what happened on that Easter Sunday morning, we've got witnesses. And this isn't the only portion of Scripture that lays that out, right? Both believer and unbeliever alike witnessed Christ alive, risen from dead, and that empty tomb. There is a reason um, that we as Christians maybe go to um, the the two purported empty grave sites of Jesus, um, maybe as a a, a historical, uh, kind of find joy in just traveling and seeing it. But we don't make pilgrimages there. Because there are no bones there. There is not death. Christ does not lay that tomb. For many centuries, they didn't even know where that tomb was. And even today, they still are not 100% sure which one it was. Because Christ wasn't there. He isn't there. Right? And we had witnesses that said that very truth. That has impact. That has consequence for us here on a Sunday morning. And I would argue for the world around us. Um, I think it would be hard to argue um, outside of these walls, maybe your family members, your friends, your neighbors, um, there, there is a singular figure, figure in the history of our world that had a greater impact on our world than any, anyone else. And it's Christ. And, I'm talk, and this is whether you believe or you don't, I think that it warrants a pause of saying something happened and it changed the trajectory of the world in which we all exist. As believers, we know what that was. Because it was witnessed. It was seen. It was attested to, right? But even beyond that, we think of the scriptures as a whole. The content of them. If you were going to write your own religion, if you were going to write up your Easter Sunday, uh, the triumph that was going to come with it, there are things that you probably would have left out of those accounts. Things like Peter, the disciple, disowning Jesus. Let's not talk about that, right? Uh, um, um, things like, like, like all of the pain and the sorrow. 
say, well, we don't want to include that. No one will buy into this, right? The truth is, in Scripture, we see the entire breadth of the human condition. Pain and suffering, joy and triumph, brokenness, the heights and the depths from Jesus, from the people around him, everyone, right? And so, not only was Christ's resurrection witnessed, but the content that we are able to read here today and in our, the pages of Scripture, right, are incredibly detailed, incredibly nuanced, and incredibly transparent and honest with you. Scripture is that. And that last one, how about the impact? The impact on our world. And I'm not speaking just the impact on you this morning at CBL, but the truth is, Christ's death and resurrection have impacted the world like nothing else around. On average, about 50,000 people a day come to faith in Christ. Right? Their faith and their trust placed on Christ alone. Right? Um, if, you, if you do the math, that comes out to about, and I'm not good at math, about 19 million a year. Did you know that there are more confessing, professing Christians today than there have ever been on the face of the earth? And so even for the most jaded, the most skeptical, um, the, 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 those of, of your friends or your family members or neighbors that say, I want nothing to do with it, there, there is valid reason for every last human on earth to pause and to ask what happened on that day in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. Right? The wonderful news is you're here this morning to hear exactly what happened. So we talk about what, what was but our next point, we also want to talk about what ought to be, okay? I'm going to read for you the next few verses here, verses 5 through 8. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who is crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell his disciples. He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy, and ran to the disciples. It's a beautiful account, isn't it? I'm always struck by the simplicity of, of what the angels say. You wonder if like, they didn't work on their sermon very long on that day. Like, you're like, could have put a little more time into it, right? right? Um, but, but they just stated fact. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. You're all thinking that could have been the sermon this morning, and it absolutely could have been. I'm being dead serious. It absolutely could have been, because that is the reality of Christ, right? But what's fascinating here is the end. Those women hurried away, afraid, yet filled with joy. It's a little bit curious, isn't it? Fear mixed with joy, but I, I think we can maybe understand that a little bit, because life is a little bit of fear mixed with joy. Life is a little bit of joy and triumph mixed with pain and with hardship. And I think there were probably lots of things that these women would have liked to have seen, right? But I don't know that their minds were prepared for what they did see. And I think that happens to us as well. And we're going to go two steps deep here. The first is, I think in our lives, there are lots of things we would like. You would like to have a bank account that has more money in it than you ever have to even look at. That you never have to think about at the grocery store, ah, uh, do I have enough in here to cover these groceries? I think we would like that. 
I think you would like your kids to grow up to be respectable, hardworking, um, empathetic, selfless um, citizens of this country, right? You have hopes and dreams for your children. These are things that you would like, right? You would like to have good relationships. You'd like to, to have relationships and families and, and, and marriages that, that exude love and selflessness. These are, I think these are all things that we would like and that the reality of it is we don't always get what we like, right? Now, I'm not bursting your bubble, right? Because that's the reality of life, isn't it? Both blessing and pain, joy and sadness. We don't always get what we like, but you are, you are for the most part, well-adjusted adults and human beings. And you can handle that on some level, actually. You can. You can handle not having a, an, a huge boat or a, or a house up in the mountains or one on the beach. Like not having a bank account that you never have to look at how, many, how, how much money is in it. Like you can, you can handle those things. We can handle not receiving the things that we'd like to have. But I think here's where the problem is greater for us. I think it's when we see things not that we like, but things that ought to be. I think those are the moments when we get a little more shaken in ourselves. Not the things that we like or that we'd, that we'd want or we'd like to see in our life, but when we see stuff happen that ought not to be, right? Things that we look at that we say, that shouldn't be. The women had seen that. They had seen injustice. They had seen Christ falsely uh, accused tried and nailed to a cross. That ought not be. It is broken and it is brokenness. And I, and I think we see that in our lives too. And those are the moments I think that shake us a little bit more. When we see things that ought to be that aren't. When we see things that, 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 that should be in a certain way and they're not. And they bring pain and they bring brokenness and hurt. And I think at times even threaten to tear our own hearts apart our own relationships and the families around us. So it's not just the things that we, we like. We are not so immature or foolish to think that we're going to get everything that this life has laid out in front of us. But the things that ought to be, I think those are the things that do bother us, right? When we see pain, when we see suffering, when we see injustice, when we see things that are broken that just shouldn't be, those are the ones I think that grab a hold of us a little more tightly, right? If that is how you feel, um, you're not alone. I think each of us at times are pained by what ought to be. So you have brothers and sisters and you have a world that says things ought not be like this. Things should not be this broken, right? Uh, writer C.S. Lewis once commented on that very thing and in fact said um, the things that we see that ought to be are actually probably pretty beautiful evidence of that it is possible for things to be fixed. He says this, If I find myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. He reflects a little bit on what ought to be, right? And you've felt it before too, 
I think when we get glimpses of, of beauty, right? Or maybe it's a painting, maybe it's a song that moves you in a way that you never imagined you could be moved. Maybe it's the laughter of your children or your grandchildren. Um, maybe it's, it's just seeing someone's selfless goodwill. There are moments in our life where I think we get, we get glimpses of what it ought to be. And we want to hold on to them as long as we can, and yet the reality is we know that they slip through our fingers. But all those ought-to-be's point us to something that's even greater, even more beautiful and more astounding than we could ever imagine. Ultimately, they point to Christ, which brings us to our last point here of what is and what will be. Let me read for you verse 9. Suddenly, Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. What if all of your ought-to-be's, what if all the brokenness in your world, what if all of that could be answered by a person? Well, it was in Christ. Think of all the ought-to-be's that these women, think of the journey in the 10 verses of our text this morning. They came expecting to find death. They didn't find death. They found an angel. He said, don't be afraid, yet they were still afraid, yet they also had joy. All of these things, think of the emotional journey that they went on this morning, but how, does it, how is it punctuated? How does it end? It's actually Jesus. And brothers and sisters, the same is true for you, Right? It's not a perfect answer, it's not a perfect uh, textbook, it's a perfect person, and his name was Christ, Christ Jesus. All of our ought-to-be's were wrapped up in one person who gave his life on the cross for all the brokenness that you have in your lives and that we see in the world around us. Christ is the answer to the ought-to-be's. He is the glimpse of that distant country, that beautiful, perfect paradise, right? He embodied it. He appeared to these women and said, do not be afraid. And that's what he is, isn't he? He's the answer to all of our oughts. And actually, remarkably, um, he, he, he kind of blows away some of our expectations of what our Savior ought to be. Because we like to actually make our Savior a little bit smaller than he actually is, right? Presbyterian pastor Tim Keller once said this, Jesus combines high majesty with the greatest humility. He joins the strongest commitment to justice with astonishing mercy and grace. And he reveals a transcendent self-sufficiency and yet an entire trust in and reliance upon his heavenly Father. We are surprised to see tenderness without any weakness, boldness without harshness, humility without any uncertainty, indeed accompanied by a towering confidence. Readers can discover for themselves his unbending convictions, but complete approachability, uh, approachability, his insistence on truth, but always bathed in love, his power without insensitivity, integrity without rigidity, passion without prejudice. Who could do that and be that? Not you and I. But he was, and he is, your Lord and Savior. And so all the ought-to-be's, all the shoulds, all the things that should be in life, we see in Christ Jesus, in his life, in his character, in who he was. And the most important fact of that was that he laid down his life for you. Because when he looks at us, he says it ought not to be that way. 
Their world and their lives ought not to be this broken. And so he said, I will give my life, my perfection in their place. He gave his life on the cross so that one day all of your ought-to-be's will be made right. All will be made right. So we stand in the presence of our Lord above as he blows away our preconceptions about who he is or how small we make him. Christ opens all of that up to us. That beautiful distant country where everything that ought to be right is right in Christ. That's what Easter is about this morning, brothers and sisters. It's about Christ. Christ and that empty tomb answer all the questions, all the wants, all the ought-to-be's in a singular person. You get to go home with that here on this Easter Sunday morning. The impact of that means you are fully and freely forgiven because of Christ. We look forward to that heavenly country in Him, with Him at our side. Amen.